The evocative voice there of Icelandic folk singer and composer Bauda Grimm's daughter. And when you're in Iceland and you start talking about music and women, Bauda's name comes up immediately. She grew up on a rural dairy farm, hearing the songs and the singing styles she's now made her life's work. She's a special interest in Rimer, a rhyming chanted song style, and she's someone who has worked to preserve and collect the folk singing traditions of Iceland. I'm Helen Shaw, and this is Mother's Blood, Sister Songs, the story of how the genetics of Iceland reveals its Gaelic roots. Now in Reykjavik, composer Linda Buckley and I sat down with Vaura and her English-born husband, Chris Foster, who form a folk group, Funi, to talk about their work and the story behind Iceland's folk song. I'm Bára Grimsdóttir and I'm a composer and I'm a traditional singer and do all the stuff also like a choir conductor and a chairman of a society called Kvæðamannafélag Eðun which is a society who have collected lots of traditional tunes I'm uh, Chris Foster and I'm resident in Iceland but I'm from England and I'm a folk music musician of many years and uh, also work as a visual artist but I work a lot with Bauer on Icelandic music and we also do some British traditional music as well. Mm. So I might just start actually with you Bauer because I think we have some similarities in that we both were connected to dairy farms and singing traditions and maybe could you tell me a little bit about your upbringing and your connection to song as as a child? I heard my grandfather sing often traditional tunes and my grandmother also but it was so funny often with my grandfather he when he had a conversation with people he often spoke like a like a poems and sometimes he started to sing the poems so he always could find, he knew loads of these little verses, you know, and he, he always could come with one in its kind of conversation about different subjects. When we moved to Reykjavik, my father, he and his brother, they were often asked to sing together traditional songs from their, you know, from the area where he grew up in Vastalur in north of Iceland. And they used to practice at home because uh, my uncle's wives, he didn't like this kind of music. So, <laughs> and my mother, she was also a traditional singer. And did you he- learn from hearing it around the place or, or were you, did you actually decide very consciously I'm going to sit down and learn these songs or was it just very much from something that was in the air? Yeah, it was basically like that. I just learned the tunes and uh, it was not what I decided to learn, it's just, you know, I swallowed, swallowed this music and it's like, yeah, 
drank it with my mother's, what do you call it? Milk. Milk. <laughs> and what brought you to Icelandic folk music? Um, well, Bowra did, but there was the sort of a story behind that because I'd been involved in traditional music making for, well, from a teenager. And it was about 20 years ago, I was working on a project in the southwest of England connected with a big collection of folk songs made by a man called Sabine Bering Gould. He was in the 19th century. We decided it would be good to get some musicians from Iceland, especially because nobody involved in our project, and we'd been around and been traveling and doing gigs all over Europe and in North America. We'd none of us ever heard any Icelandic folk music. And so we thought, well, if we can find some, then it'll be you know, a first for us kind of thing. And it wasn't easy, but in the end, we luckily found a group of four people who were prepared to come and perform, and Bauer was one of them. And so when I heard the music, I thought, why isn't this really well known? Bauer, would you say that ornamentation is a very strong feature throughout, or is it very different depending on who the singer is? Well, in the tradition of Rimuren, it used to be lots of ornament, but it's like uh, singers nowadays don't do that so much, not so many of them. But uh, it's also, I remember listening to my grandfather, the way he used the voice was a kind of different than other people around me. And um, yeah, when you listen to old recordings, you can hear other people sing it with, with that kind of technical, so. And for those who don't know, could you just maybe explain the concept of reamer and what it is? Reamer is a plural word. Um, the singular word is rima. So basically it's the Icelandic version of the epic ballad, you might say. So these are big, long stories about heroes, villains, kings, queens, murders, ghosts, dragons, that kind of territory. And they're very, very long, these things. So, you know, a thousand verses is kind of fairly standard and, and maybe more. And so being that long, the thing is divided into chapters. So one chapter is Rima, the whole sequence of that is Rimur. And the other thing about it is that unlike the ballad tradition, say in the British Isles, the different chapters will be in different poetic meters. So like the first Rima might be four lines in a verse and so many syllables like in the first line, in the third line, in a different number in the second and fourth and with the rhymes in a certain way, then the next rima might be in three lines with the different number of syllables in a line and so on. But they're also rima which are not that long. Mm. And, and are also people use the same poetic form of uh, just a short version of describing the nature or whatever, you know. And um, might be with just one verse. I can give you one example of little tune and verse which my grandmother used to sing. Konan blessu kemst á stjá Kærleik meður fínum grautar diskum gengur frá Gætir að hjúum sínum Gætir að hjúum sínum 
beautiful. Thank you. Can you just maybe tell us a little bit about what the story behind that, even that little excerpt of what Yeah, it's about? it's basically uh, about the, the woman. She's she's the first one wakes up in the morning and get the dishes ready and uh, wakes up the her like servant and, and feed them. I just wanted to ask you as well, as a composer myself to another composer, how folk song impacts upon your own composing? Because I know that that is, you know, very strong part of what you do as well. I kind of use very different modes in my compositions. I also use a lot of rhythm changes because that's a lot in these little tunes. And often kind of parallel fifth, that's <laughs> also one of the key things in uh, Icelandic traditional music. So I'm, yeah, I'm definitely influenced by Icelandic traditional music in my compositions. It's interesting too that parallel fifths come up so much in medieval music. That's not a rumor, but it's more like a different types of music, which was quite popular in the especially 18th and 19th century. Whereas the harmony is a kind of traditional, but it goes above the melody and also under. And very many of these tunes are in the Lydian mode. And it's quite often that when the voices meet, it's in an augmented fourth. So maybe the harmony is above, they meet up in this augmented fourth, diabolism musica, as they call it, and then it goes under the melody. Actually, I'll go back to you, Chris, about the, the duo of Funi. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, because you talked about how you wanted to shine a light on Icelandic folk music and how maybe you felt that a lot of kind of the wide community of musicians or music lovers maybe don't know this music very well. Why do you think that is? One of the things that's very noticeable is that there is no folk scene here like there has been across the rest of Europe and North America, particularly over the last 50 years or more. That simply hasn't really happened here for whatever reasons. I guess population size could be a part of it. And, you know, we have this society, Kvaitaman, if you like, in Baros Cherov, and it's 90 years old now, and it's done a fantastic job of keeping stuff together and recording stuff and perpetuating the tradition. But its membership is, you know, relatively small. And I think maybe one reason is because the kind of great gem of the tradition here is this fantastic vocal music tradition, both musically and poetically. And in a lot of other countries, there's always been instrumental dance music that goes along with that. Here, not so much and not in the same way. And I think maybe that's had something to do with it. But it it was much more of instrumental music in the like early 20th century, mm. you know, that, so people playing polkas and yeah, yeah, yeah. this kind of dances, that was quite common. Yeah. And we, we can see it like when we were at the museum in Isafjörður with the accordion, all the accordions, then we could see the kind of history of all around the countries. They played accordion and for dances and that was very common. Yeah, but then there's this whole thing about the way that romantic nationalism impacts on traditional music. But I, I want to say also about other things we talked about earlier, like growing up in a countryside, I forgot to mention the autumn roundup, yeah, yeah. which is quite important. 
So when they go up to the mountains to gather together both the sheep and also the horses, you know, they are, people are having fun. They are, it may be, at least it used to take a few days. So people used to sing together in the evenings. And also after gathering all the sheep together and down to the valley, that's when people in the valley, they used to kind of be all together everybody together doing this and also especially after they finished doing it they were drinking and and they used to sing this kind of music yeah. so song was very much a part of everyday life i mean i heard you singing a beautiful work song which was connected to spinning i'm fascinated with this idea that song is not for performance but it's just part of ritual and part of everyday life as well yeah it it used to be that uh, much more maybe than now, especially when people like were living in the farmhouses, in the torf houses, and you know, lots of people together. They were performing for each other. It was often Reamer songs they were performing in the evenings. Often it was a, maybe the farmer or someone else at the farm who could do it, or a guest who came for a visit and had some new story to tell or, or sing about. But there are also, of course, women also singing for the children. That was a kind of, that was lots of kind of long rhymes. They were also singing for them, a bit nonsense. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, this spinning song, it's a woman singing and she's singing for the children and telling the children all the work she used to do. And I mean, she, she's 75 years old, and she has milked the cow, she has run, you know, gathered the sheep, she has made shoes, she has ground coffee beans, and she has picked up either down, and she has been like a kind of skipper on a boat, also doing fishing and so on. I mean, women used to do all kinds of work here. I mean, God. They were really working hard. It's interesting to see how some people I know first came upon the Rimur through the group Sigur Ros and they were connected to Steendor Anderson and things like that. How do you feel about that? Do you think that that interpretation is very much not in keeping with the origins of it or do you think that it's good to see it being brought out into a mainstream Yeah, definitely, audience? definitely, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the, I think it was really interesting that, that what they did, I mean, it was just like a sort of a period where they did some things together. And I think what they did was really, really good. And what we do is we use instrumental accompaniment, not all the time, but we've brought the long spill out of the cupboard and made that a part of what we do. And I use guitar as well. Bauer plays cantala, which is not an Icelandic instrument any more than the guitar is. So we kind of do that because that's what we like doing. We always try to kind of do it sort of aware of the kind of queue of people that we're standing at the front of, if you know what I mean. I see a strand of that here, that it's very respectful yet open to bringing genres together. I mean, I see that in the work that the two of you do together. And is that quite important to you to feel that these lines can be blurred and you don't have to have boundaries between different genres? At the end of the day, it's down to you know our limitations as musicians. Like that's the only deciding factor. That and the limitations of our imagination. 
I mean, it makes me think a little bit of the tradition of Irish Shannos singing, yeah. which is very much regarded as being completely a cappella, solo, unaccompanied. Um, but of course, in recent years, you do have singers who are experimenting with electronic accompaniment and with, you know, instrumental. And, you know, it, I think there is a, a more of a openness about that now. Mm. I think one of the good things in a way here as a spin off of there being very low levels of awareness about the tradition here is that we don't have folk police. <laughs> uh, maybe could you tell us a little bit about this collection? Where do the songs come from and who are the singers? They are singing uh, these tunes from their area or what they learned from their parents or, or neighbours or whatever, you know. And actually quite a lot of them come from a place in north of Iceland in a county called Tónavarsísla. What was the process like of putting this book together in terms of transcribing the tunes? And that must have been a very big undertaking. Yeah, it was a big job. So what people, basically, it was a, who uh, wrote down the music by listening to the recordings. I, I proofread it. And in this book, they are all the verses they, they were singing. And... Uh, I think they actually did quite a good job of doing um, notes, you know, about who was singing and where do the tune come from, like here, you know. This is like a drinking song, you know. He loves the bottle, this guy. And you then there's a stylistic thing that, that you always hold the last note, like double for a matter length. <laughs> you stack them up like plates. <laughs> so, so it's all kinds of... This is about the winter fog here. vetrar I was just going to say that actually it feels like quite long phrases in a way, like without taking a breath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that Some first section there you really push through for a long yeah, time. Yeah. I mean, like this one, you can, I take a little breath here and after the third line. And um, sometimes it's just like no breath, you know. <laughs> one continuous phrase. Yeah, 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 you know. Actually, Steindor Anderson did a huge job tracking down the poems that, you know, single verses came from so that the whole thing could go into the book. Okay. That was mm. a big part of what he did. Mm. Here's a very nice one about the autumn. Oh, that's it. That's, it. that's the one I'm thinking of. It's uh, hosted in August. Yeah, that's something that I actually set to music before, which is fall approaches about the coming of winter. Sólin blessu sigurið til viðar Glóa lofti gullí ský Grát klökka áinniðar So that one has almost a sense of kind of melancholy about it. Yeah. Is it because the text is to do with that the darkness is coming? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, but I think there's something hopeful about that text, isn't there? Because mm -hmm. it talks about the lights from the sky will look down upon us, the stars. I first heard it with which Dendor Anderson yeah, actually. Yeah, 
Sólin blessu sigurreið til viðar glóa lofti gullinski. Grát klökk á innyðar. It's also, I think it's so interesting, it's, it's both major and minor. Mm -hmm. and, uh, mm. and the text is quite beautiful and as you say, it's, it's a kind of, it's about the sun, sunset and the autumn is coming and the winter and the birds are kind of gone away, low one. Yeah. The darkness is coming, but as you say here, here are the stars shining. It's like a god's rays, Geslar, over the winter uh, sky. And do you think that's mm. why it's in major and minor? Because it's showing sort of hope as well as some melancholy? Yeah, it could be. Maybe tell us a little bit about traditionally what these performances would have been like. Like what kind of situation, what kind of scenario would there be that these would be performed in? Basically, people used to sing this tunes in the farmhouse in the evenings. We call it kvöldvaka. It's a kind of people working, knitting and, you know, spinning rocks. So this was a, the entertainment. But of course they were also telling stories, you know, it was also storytelling. But, but these songs were basically mostly in this environment. And I, I heard an interview with an old man and he was saying the singers, they had to have a strong voice because even though it wasn't a big house, it was so much noise in the rock, you know, and also foul weather outside. So they have to kind of have this strong voice to so people could hear the story, the texts of the... It was kind of radio in the corner music. Yeah. But uh, there are also stories of people just singing this for the sheep when they are because in the summers and they had to kind of go on milk, milking the sheep and take care of the sheep. And that was about a Grimm's daughter and Chris Foster sharing the story and the sound of Iceland's folk song. And you can see a video clip of our chat with them and Vara singing on our website, mothersbloodsisterssongs.com. Thanks for listening. Flattan Slayed have ye grassy grind, growing varied tune in either cotlum, ekum rind. Of them rings a tune.